Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Tolleson Insights Podcast, conversations designed to help families build on their success and leave a more meaningful legacy. My name is Adam Tarno, and I am joined once again by Tolleson's president, Richard Joyner. Today, Richard and I talk about why it's important to start talking about the future right now today. This is a very, very timely conversation. Here we are facing down another new year filled with uncertainty, probably more uncertainty than many of us would prefer. And although we cannot control the future, we can start to have conversations and plan and prepare for a future regardless of what the future brings for us. I think you're going to find this conversation to be very helpful. Richard has some great insights here and gives you some very specific things that you and your family can do in this new year to get ready for whatever is next for you. So with all that being said, enjoy my conversation with Richard Joyner. Richard, good to be back with you this morning. How are you doing? Doing great, Adam. It's great to be with you as well. Yeah. All right. So we're going to do a follow-up today is a follow-up to the last episode that we did on some of your reflections on everything that you've learned watching dozens or really hundreds of families go through the pandemic and different things that they learned and some uh, some tips and and ideas for them as they as they face this situation just to make the most of it. And so uh, in, in that episode, we talked about this idea of preparing, right? Like using this opportunity that we've all been facing to get ready for the post-pandemic world and to prepare. And so uh, let's talk a little bit more about that today. What, what exactly do you think families need to prepare for? So I love this topic, Adam, because it's, it's such a rich topic. We've been through so much over the last couple of years, and now as we sort of burst forth into the new year, it's a great, it's a great time to talk about being prepared for all the things that we've learned about over the last couple of years. So there really are a couple of things in my mind that stand out. Um, families, families as they go through their lives, particularly families that are what I refer to as multi-generational families of wealth, they go through, they go through all kinds of transition in their lives that require some extra preparation. Because if they are multi-generational families of wealth, it's likely they've accumulated a lot of stuff. So stuff can mean an operating business, it can mean family partnerships, it can mean trusts, it can mean all kinds of things. And it can mean the, the garage full of stuff too, right? <laughs> it can mean everything. Yes. It can mean a garage full of a household of art and collectibles. There's typically just a lot of stuff when families live their lives. And so I always think about a couple of different types of transitions. The ones, the one, a lot of transitions are expected, at least in some degree. So if you have an operating business and the, and the family member who's leading the business is 65 years old, 68 years old, whatever it is, and they're thinking about the future, it's obvious there is likely to be a leadership transition coming at some point. So those kinds of things, you have a little bit more lead time. You have a little bit better ability to predict them. However, there are tons of transitions where that's not the case. So what we've seen over the last couple of years is families that have gone through a lot of unexpected health challenges. They've gone through the things that are related to the pandemic and things that are related simply to aging families. And so the types of transitions that I'm really talking about here are transitions that involve, uh, in some cases, incapacity. A family member is incapacitated because of a sudden health challenge or because of the onset of some, um, some challenging disease like dementia. And so all of a sudden you're faced with this situation where a family member who's been carrying a lot of the day-to-day -day load of managing the family's financial and operational affairs may not be able to, to function at all. 
of course, death is the other, and that, that tends to be very unexpected. And so being able to prepare yourself so that, uh, that a situation like that doesn't create chaos, I think is a really, really important concept. New family members, family members that are marrying, divorcing, there's all kinds of transitions that come along with that as well. So over the last few years, we've seen some specific situations that I think are really illustrative of what I'm talking about. A family member who is who we had been advising for years withdrew. He moved to a different location from the rest of his family, and he kind of withdrew from the family. Unfortunately, he passed away unexpectedly. And so the family that's left now trying to figure out where things are, they don't know where his bank accounts were. They don't know where else he might have had assets. They don't know if he had insurance. They don't know who who controlled it all. They don't know passwords, just to basic things. And so sadly, what that does is it leaves, it creates a situation where the family is left really having to work hard just to pick up the pieces. Mm. Yeah. And which is really difficult. And, and you're right. I mean, and so a lot of these circumstances that you just talked about, like transitions or death or long-term health challenges, new family members, those aren't necessarily unique to the pandemic, right? I mean, those are things that were happening back in, uh, in the early, I mean, they've been happening forever. And so, uh, but the pandemic really put a focus on this to go, let's make sure we take advantage of this moment and let's talk about what to do when these situations do arise. Not if, it's, it's really yeah, when I, with all of these, right? I think you're exactly right. I think because so many families saw situations in a short period of time yeah. that involved a transition, it made them much more aware of the need to plan for it, the need to prepare for it, and all the things that are involved in that process. That's right. Okay. So what is what does preparation mean, uh, especially in the context of a family enterprise? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So in, in the context of a family enterprise, I think it's helpful, first of all, to define the term. L- lots of families are very, very familiar with ownership of a business, and lots of people are very involved in helping a business plan for transitions. There are family coach. I mean, there are business coaches and consultants and, and, and board members and all kinds of people in a business that are generally pretty attuned to the notion of transition and the need to prepare for succession. However, in this context, what I'm referring to is the family enterprise, which is all the other stuff that's involved. So all the other stuff can mean homes. It can mean vacation homes. It can mean ranches. It can mean it can mean uh, collectibles of an art, all kinds of other things. Most people spend their time preparing for the family business, but not as much on the other stuff. And in reality, it's the shared stuff that often is where is where conflict arises within a family. And so the need to prepare is probably greater in those kind of situations than it is in the family business setting. And it requires it requires a specific process around around those things that most people do not have in place. Yeah. Now, is this uh, is some of this stuff talked about in just a basic estate plan or does the basic estate plan really just talk about where the assets are going to go from an ownership perspective? They don't really talk about uh, sharing or using of these assets. So I would say that the estate plan is a piece of the preparation process. It's the legal documents that designate where things go at someone's death. But I think what happens in the estate planning process is the is that putting the plan itself together is, is, a, is the beginning of the preparation process. So having conversations around what would happen if. So I've got a couple of families who have ranches, for example. It's a great example. 
the family grows up, they, they're used to you going to the ranch as a family over the holidays, for family gatherings, for, for celebrations and so on. And those kind of things get very, very different if, if the, the matriarch or patriarch passes away and the, and the kids are left trying to manage a big ranch. There's costs involved. There are decisions to be made about whether you're going to do, conduct any business like cattle ranching. There are all kinds of decisions to be made where in, at the beginning it might have been one person or two people making a decision. Now there's 10. It, it's just a much it's just a much harder process. Um, we also see a lot of people um, right now that are spending a lot of a lot of time as a family uh, pursuing the family's philanthropy. And it's really been interesting to me because that's turned out to be sort of a, a good preparation process that feeds right into the rest of this, whether it's the estate plan or whether it's anything else. It's been interesting to see how philanthropy has become a gathering point where the family talks about its shared values. And the family not only not only talks about shared values, but where there are disagreements, it's a great opportunity for them to try to bring some of those in concert and all to learn the skills of managing all, what I refer to as the family enterprise. Yeah. And, you know, we can go back and reference the other episode we did on philanthropy and all that yes. we talked about there. I mean, I think you and uh, you and uh, Susan Genevieve. Yeah, that's right. Susan got into that. And so uh, great episode to go back and listen to if you haven't listened to that. So uh, let's keep talking about this plan design. Uh, who do you think should be involved in this conversation around plan design? What, what's your recommendation there? So it, it, uh, part of it depends upon this, the situation that the actual family is in. My general recommendation is that you have as many people as you're comfortable having in that process. That may not always be true if you're just starting that process for the very first time. There may be fewer people involved. But let's assume it's a married couple. So mom and dad get together. And I would suggest in most cases, they have as many of their trusted advisors with them in that process as is possible. Why? Because it's not the same if you go out and talk individually to each of the advisors. They need to be together in the room so that they can share ideas and differing perspectives. The plan design will almost always be much, much better if there are multiple points of view and multi multiple professional skills that are brought into that process. Younger people can be involved. Kids can be involved anytime the parents are ready and, and they believe that the kids are ready. Um, I always say that that's one of the things that you can make a decision about based upon based upon the, the parents' readiness and the kids' readiness, it's not necessary in most cases to even talk dollars in these conversations. You're talking about process. If something happens to me, my kids will go here for somebody to help them access the money that's in a trust. They don't need to talk about how much is in the trust, just the fact that safety net is there. They understand the process and they understand where to go for help. And if a parent's concerned about it, you can always... You can always start off those conversations. If you're thinking of bringing kids in, you can start those conversations by talking candidly about the need for confidentiality. No parent wants to, to worry about their kids telling others how much they're worth and how much they've accumulated in this and that. So I always say putting some of those ground rule conversations up front is actually a helpful way to start the process. Yeah. What, uh, what would you say, like if there is, um, you know, there's a, a wealth builder that's listening to this right now and they're sitting there going, I've started this conversation with my kids before and they didn't like it, right? They didn't want to talk about this. It made them uncomfortable. 
they were like, oh, mom or dad, you're so young. We don't have to worry about any of that. You know, any sort of pushback. Uh, what, do, what do you say there? What, what, what would you say to that person that's like, hey, I, I tried this and it didn't work? Well, first thing I would say is keep trying. And the second thing that I would say is think about, think about the delivery and the message. If, if a parent is trying to push a lot of really detailed technical financial data onto their kids and their kids are not interested, maybe, maybe that suggests you change the approach. Maybe it suggests rather than having a conversation that's so loaded in detail, you take it up to a 20 or 30,000 foot view. And then you can look down and you can talk about the process as a process. And you can talk about the purpose of going through it. And you can talk about your intent as a parent. My intent in this process is to make sure that you have enough information so that when something happens to me, it's not a total surprise. I've seen, I've seen lots of situations where there was absolutely no conversation prior to the death of, of an individual who was a family member running all the stuff. And it is very difficult if you don't even know the starting point. You don't know the questions to ask. You don't know what you're dealing with. You don't have anything, anything at all um, to tell you where to go or what to do. It's, That's a, right. it's a tough process even when it's well-planned. Yeah, yeah. Because all the emotions of all, especially if it if we're talking about death or uh, incapacitation or something like that. I mean, there's all the emotions, uh, the the human emotions of the relationship that are going on. And then you add to it all the emotions and the stress associated with what to do with the assets. And it really is, uh, it, it can be, that's, not, that's a recipe for a, a really stressful time. That's a great point. Remember the old adage that after a stressful event, you're not supposed to make a decision for a year. So, so if you've done no preparation, if you've gone through some kind of a traumatic transition, it's just a difficult time to make good decisions. And so push all that to before rather than waiting until whatever the event is and it occurs. That's good. All right, let's go back and, and touch a little bit on the estate planning process. I know we've recorded a couple episodes on this, but I think this is good to go back. And let's let's briefly explain the roles that are needed in an estate plan. Can you go through that real quick? Absolutely. We can talk about that uh, for sure. So the reason that I think this is important is that uh, most of the estate planning conversation that goes on is around tends to be around taxes. People that have accumulated large estates, I go, well, I don't want to pay any taxes or I want to save as much as I can. And so the conversation seems to stay in that realm a lot of times. And I would tell you that I think the more important discussion is about the roles, who does what in the process. And so some of the key roles that we talk about, the executor of the estate is the person is a short-term job. It's a job that lasts a year to three, say, as you're, as you're gathering the assets of an estate and then you're distributing them according to the plan. It's a temporary role. You can get a lot of professionals to help you through this process. And so that, th and knowing those things really affects the decisions you make about who's in that role. Trustee, if you create a trust, the trustee of the trust is the person who makes all the decisions about the trust itself. And a trust is typically a long-term instrument. It creates a legal entity that may last for multiple generations. So if you put somebody in the role of a trustee, they need to be somebody who's, pre who's prepared for that and is, is capable of performing over a long period of time. I see lots, I see lots of people uh, create an estate plan, create a trust, and name a trustee that is similar to them in age. That may be okay, but at some point, if you're getting older, the trustee's getting older too. So you have to make sure that you have at least several in succession 
that can be named. And probably at the end of that, considering a corporate trustee who has much more longevity, corporate trustee can serve as a co-trustee with one of the kids or grandkids. So understanding that, that role is a long-term role and that it has more complicated decision decisions to be made uh, is really important. The, the other one that gets left out sometimes is understanding who the decision maker is on other entities that the family's created. So families created a family partnership, families who are operating a business in an LLC. They own real estate in one of these entities. Well, every one of these entities require that somebody be named as the decision maker. So is it one person? Is it three or four people? If it's three or four people and they happen to be your kids, have they ever worked together to make a decision? If they haven't worked together to make a decision, you got to stop and give them some practice in that process because otherwise it's kind of hopeless. I come back to philanthropy. Lots of families these days are creating family foundations and you have those same types of governance issues there. If mom or dad are the ones who are always making the decisions and mom or dad, mom or dad are not in the picture any longer, the dynamics change entirely from a decision-making standpoint. Learning these roles takes time. It takes practice. It takes, it takes the ability to make mistakes. So I always say start small. Bring, bring family members into the process. Give them a chance to see how that process works. Give them a chance to have a voice and then ultimately a vote. And then bigger and bigger decisions. Once they, once they have some skill operating in that kind of environment and making decisions together, everything's yeah. a whole lot easier. Yeah. And a lot of this conversation, Richard, is reminding me of a quote that I read in uh, Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. I think it was, uh, I forget the name of the industry that he was quoting, maybe Abbott Industries, I think. They had this phrase, planning is priceless, but plans are useless. Right. And it was just this idea that the process of planning and, um, and thinking through what might go wrong is a priceless activity. But we all know, and this is what we did learn through the pandemic, right? Nobody knows what tomorrow is going to bring. And so if there's, a, if there's somebody listening going, well, I, we can't make all of these decisions right now and map out the future. And there's some things we don't know. That's okay. Just go through the process of having the conversations. Yes, the future is going to throw some curveballs and there's going to be some things that you don't know. But the process of sitting down and having these conversations is a priceless process. Would you agree with that? I totally agree with that. And it, it, it's interesting to me because I just finished reading a book about the hunt for bin Laden. And it's a fascinating discussion about how the military prepares for events like a raid in a foreign country. You know, it, it's really a fascinating process. So over a, over a period of months, what what they did was, first of all, they create a very detailed document that lays out all the elements of the plan, the people that are needed, the resources that are needed, the equipment that's needed. And then they go through a period, a period of time where they take that documentation and they bring teams in to challenge the plan. What's wrong with it? What have we forgotten about? What have we missed? Then they built a scale model so they could look at it and actually see how the raid on that compound might look. And then they built a life-size model and they tested and they retested and they challenged and they threw and they threw monkey wrenches into the process purposely to see if the plan could accommodate those. And ultimately, that process that occurred over many months resulted in a successful raid. Of course, if you remember the story, it didn't all go perfectly. There was a helicopter that went down in the process, but they were prepared with a backup plan. 
I just think that planning process is so uh, it, it's remarkable how they do that. And it's a great example of how families can do something similar. You go through the process, you challenge it, you bring other people in with other ideas, you make sure that you're you're continuously refining and improving the process. And over time, you'll be surprised how much progress you'll make in a situation like that and how much better prepared everybody is when something occurs that is not expected, like any kind of transition that we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's just some principles that you understand and you would know how each other thinks and go, I bet we should apply this principle to this situation. And so that's what I like about this conversation and even the timing, right? Like this is now we're facing a new year. And uh, I think one of the things I'm hearing you say, even just using that example about the bin Laden raid, that was not one conversation. So they didn't just sit down and have one meal together and plan that entire thing. That was a series of smaller conversations over a long period of time. And over a period of time, they were able to, to be as prepared as possible. And that, I think, could be the takeaway for those listening right now facing the new year just start the conversations, like put the first one on the calendar of just saying, we're going to get together and this is what we're going to start to talk about. And then when you're done with that conversation, figure out what's the next conversation you need to have. And then what's the next one? And maybe this year in 2022, this could be the year that over, over 12 months, you could have six, eight, maybe 10 or 12 conversations with your family and face the end of next year, or excuse me, the end of 2022, very different than maybe you're facing the end of 21. Yeah. I, I think you summarized it perfectly. New Year is a great time to begin thinking about these kinds of things. If you start the process and it doesn't go perfectly, you just keep going. No process like this goes perfectly every step of the way. Don't get discouraged. Don't let that stop you. Keep having the conversations and keep adapting as you go down the path. I think if you do that and you commit to some a process like that over a longer period of time, you'll be absolutely amazed how much better prepared the family is if something occurs that's unexpected. That's right. Good stuff, Richard. This has been a great conversation. Uh, thanks for your time today. I always enjoy it. Thanks, Adam. If you and your family would like some help starting these planning conversations or how to engage in some of the conversations that Richard and I discussed today, or if you have any other questions and would like to talk to one of the professionals at Tolleson Wealth Management, please visit TollesonWealth.com. That's T-O-L-L-E-S-O-N Wealth com to start that conversation. And as a reminder, the views and opinions expressed on today's episode do not necessarily reflect the views of Tallis and Wealth Management. Information that Richard and I discussed today is for informational purposes only. This is not a solicitation or an offer to buy security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. As always, you should consult your professional advisors before making any tax, legal, financial planning, or investment decisions. Thank you so much for listening to the Tolleson Insights Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. We'll talk to you again next time.